our beer of the week this week is Sam Adams again, but it's not Boston Lager. It is Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest is one of my favorite times of the year. It's my favorite kind of beer. So excited to drink it and ready to get into this uh, Panthers rant we're about to start. Seems like a very fitting beer. Uh, first podcast in October for us. I'm Steven, your host, joined by Jacob, my co-host here on Perfect Takes. We have a lot to get into, and part of that is the Panthers rant, like you alluded to. This is the first time we've been 0-4 since 2010, a year Ooh. in which we drafted three quarterbacks, uh, traded with the New England Patriots to get the rights to draft Armani Edwards in the third round, cost us a second-round pick in 2011. So just a lot of downhill spiraling then, and it seems like we're doing the same thing now cost us the 33rd overall pick so basically a second or basically a late first rounder but that was rough and we are 0-4 but guess what we've held leads in all four games I believe I saw a tweet today that we are the first 0-4 team ever to have a lead in each of those four games so that's really uh really fun to know that we're just that bad at holding leads so far Oh, it's, it's abysmal. And the defense does its part. It hems and haws for about three quarters. And since we get very little offensive production, their gas come the fourth quarter and offenses are able to kind of find holes in our defense at that point and, and make us pay. So uh, a lot to get into. And some of that is alluded to the offensive side. Uh, do you have anything to get off your chest about Frank Reich before we get into it? Uh, it's a little, a little further down in the notes, but I'm going to say it now. Post-game press conference, he says, I caught a play for that could only go to Adam Thielen. First of all, there should be plays that there should never be plays that only go to one person. All right. That's just just uh, just basic football. He said, I caught a play that could only go to Adam Thielen, but I realized he wasn't on the field and we had to call timeout. What? How do you let that happen? I mean, well, can it like is does he is he not able to manage the game correctly because he's focused on calling plays and stuff too? Like that's just inexcusable. Well, it's it's not only that, but when he should be calling timeouts, he doesn't, and we'll get into that mm-hmm. in a little bit. But this is one of the things that I, we had brought up right before the the season started, and there was a lot of hype about our coaching staff as a whole, which I think is one of the best top to bottom as a coaching staff. From a play calling standpoint, Frank Reich didn't crack the top 20 play callers going into the season based on a model I ran in the offseason. So this is where I thought we'd benefit from a marriage with Thomas Brown coming from the McVay tree and Frank Reich. I thought there there would be a little bit more juice in the offensive play calling. We had Josh McCown, who had previous quarterbacking experience not too long ago in the NFL as our quarterbacks coach. And that's where I thought the youth and just kind of having your pulse on how NFL offenses run nowadays, we wouldn't have the production that we have on the field. It wouldn't look uh, suffocated. And that that's what we have with Frank Reich. It, it just looks abysmal. Uh, he's drawing up plays for only one player and not just designing a play to get guys open and have different reads throughout the field. Like that's what I liked when we had North Turner back in the Rivera era. He had different high lows set up for Kyle Allen, just simple easy buttons where you can read one defender. And that's just, it's not in this offense, which is, it's, it's disheartening. Yeah. You said the phrase run and offense nowadays. Well, if you say that to Frank Reich, he'd tell you, Oh, we're running on offense. He likes to run on first down. And uh, I believe it was John Ellis who pointed it out. I think you uh, quoted it earlier this week. We're terrible at running the ball on first down. It's like a 1.9 
uh, yard average gain on running on first down. And it's always Miles Sanders, too. Like, Chuba's not getting in the mix. They're not – Raheem Blackshear has just been banished. I don't know where he is. Uh, they don't give Chenault any run on first downs. It's just – it's so predictable. It's hard to It's hard to understand it. If we as fans can predict it, do you not think that the coaches paid millions can't predict it? Like, what's going on, Absolutely. Man? I mean, our, our first down success rate rushing the ball is 24%. And passing the ball, at least our success rate's around 46%. Uh, we do a lot better running on second down. Our, our success rate's about mm-hmm. 57% on that down. We don't tend to run a lot on second down because we get in these second and tens or second and long situations. We're throwing the ball, and then all of a sudden we're ending up in a third and long situation. And that's that's never ideal for a rookie quarterback behind a busted interior offensive line. Like The thing is, is we're down to Zavala, who it was a backup guard that we drafted this past year, and Cade Mays. And if we had Corbett and Brady Christensen, I think – at least Bryce would have a little bit more time in the pocket, but it's just, it's not the case. And so it's just, it's, it's very head scratching because the play calling doesn't seem to uh, kind of fit what we are at this point in time. So. And you said third and long, right? So ideally you want to move the ball like down the field, right? Past the sticks. So what's the opposite of that as a throw, probably a screen pass, right? You know how many screen passes we were in? I think it was like seven or eight, like, if you're going to trade up to draft a guy with a number one overall pick, let him chuck that ball down the field on third down. Like, Terrace Marshall, like, and I had high hopes for Terrace Marshall. I like what Thielen's done so far. These guys are not getting you eight, nine, ten yards on screen plays on third down, especially when it's like the sixth or seventh or eighth screen you call when the defense is ready for it. I saw another great Panthers podcast break this down on a video format, but it was one of the screens Bryce throws. As soon as he throws it, the Terrace Marshall, he knows it's a dead play. Like Mm -hmm. his head immediately looks down. You can see his disheartened because he knows this type of play calling isn't going to move the chains. And so it's one of those things that we aren't helping ourselves with what we're doing. And we talked about it last week, how Reich, he did start one in five his first year in Indianapolis before turning it around. But the difference was is that they scored 34 points in two of those six games and scored less than 20 points in only one of those games. The Panthers, on the flip side, compared to the Colts back in 2018, scored less than 20 points in three of our four games. This offense has no juice, and the fans are losing faith very quickly, as we've talked about for the first five or so minutes of this podcast. And it's just it's embarrassing. Like we've seen this ever since Tepper stepped in the building and I'm not, I'm not blaming this completely on ownership, but he's been bringing in guys that are not capable at the head coach position. And it's, it's becoming very apparent and it just, maybe we should have gotten Eric the because he's looking okay in Washington. Maybe we should have. And you said it uh, earlier this off season, it was in a tweet. We've talked about it recently and uh, in more private conversations, but Shane Steichen should have been the hire. He's a quarterback guru. He's a quarterback whisperer. We've seen it with Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, and he's doing it right now with Anthony Richardson. It's just, it's it's mind-boggling. It is absolutely mind-boggling. And to your point, it's screen passes. Screen passes what we're calling if we aren't calling stuff across the middle. And Bryce was on the money on plays across the middle. Like, he he had a couple drop touchdowns this game, and I he, he was dotting people up with hitting Thielen and Terrace Marshall on, on breaking routes, in breaking routes. So, it's just it's some of those things where it's it's very it's frustrating to see kind of where we're at right now and as a franchise. Right, doesn't call a game that fits the offense and fits his QB well. 
calls timeouts, but then, like you said, doesn't call timeouts. We got the ball right before half. We could have executed a two-minute drill, but then he let, like, 30 seconds tick off the clock. And then, obviously, we don't move the ball on the next play because we didn't call a timeout to get the play call in and everything because, for some reason, we struggle getting play calls in, too. So we have to settle for Eddie Pinero's longest career field goal. Like, even if we didn't get a touchdown, Pinero shouldn't have had to attempt a 56-yarder. Like, we could have gotten it to where it was like a 40-yard like a field goal, I would hope. But thankfully, he hit it, and we went into halftime with a lead. But, like, come on. What do we do? What Like, what are we doing? This is stuff that is stuff that we saw with Rivera. Like, he had – I think Rivera's last year, he had to bring in, like, a clock management coach. We saw it with Rule 2, just terrible at timeout management and stuff. This is a veteran coach that's been in and around the league for decades. This should not be a problem, but it is. Like, it's – it's. I don't understand it. It's, it's, it's hard to understand. It, it is, and it's one of those things that it goes back to he's not using 12 personnel to his advantage. Uh, if we're in 12 personnel, we're running the ball, and if we're in 11 personnel, we're passing the ball. And in, and if there was more of a marriage between the, the run and the pass game, may, maybe we run more 12 personnel – those early downs, maybe the defense thinks it's a run. We we have a play action bootleg, and now we have guys running down the field with six, seven man protection that give Bryce enough time to deliver the ball. Because Bryce Young, one of his strengths is that he's an accurate quarterback. Mm-hmm. Let let him stand there and deliver a shot. We saw it all the time in college. All he needs is that opportunity, and he's not getting that opportunity. And that it all goes back to that play calling. I, you, you had a point here where it really is, is that Frank Reich, what we're seeing in terms of play calling, like by the by, it needs to be Thomas Brown. And if it's not Thomas Brown, then we need to start asking for Frank Reich's like job that it's as plain and simple as that. Like it was a feel good story when we hired him. Hey, first, first quarterback to throw a passing touchdown in franchise history. He, he came in with Dom capers. You're installing a culture and it's not there. It's not there. And it's, it's falling apart before our very eyes. We had more of a culture last year when Wilkes took over with a, a stat like a staff where a lot of people got fired. We traded our best player away, but we knew what we were. We, like they just don't know what they are now, and it's just it's disheartening. I would say at least the defense, for what it's worth, with all the injuries, holds up for like you said three quarters into the fourth for most of the game. But still, they're they're getting gassed. Like this defense held the Vikings to 14 points on offense, which is pretty good. The Vikings were a high-powered offense coming into the game or uh, coming into this week. I think it was the lowest yardage total for Kirk in four years. I think it was since 2020. We had uh, Deshaun Jameson, an undrafted free agent, who we plucked from Steve Wilkes in the 49ers practice squad to make our 53. He was guarding Jefferson most of the game, held him to only like 80 yards. I mean, Jefferson did have two touchdowns, but Justin Jefferson he's he's gonna get his you know but like the defense like was good enough like if our offense could have produced but the offense just couldn't like we even get down to the red zone what does Bryce do he puts it right on the money two plays in a row Ian Thomas doinks off his uh face mask DJ Chark doinks off his face mask so like that we're not playing complimentary football the defense is hanging in there but like the, the offense just has to improve and 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 to to give Reich, at least a little bit of props. He came into the game. They had a great first drive down the field because that's what mm-hmm. led. We we had the red zone opportunities. We could have gone up 14-0, which probably would have been the difference maker down the stretch. 
uh, because Bryce Young doesn't fumble, we're in field goal range there. All of a sudden, those points start adding up. So it, it really does matter, some of these drops, some of these turnovers. And like you said, the defense is doing their part. They had a pick six that, that put us on the board early. And then uh, Camus Gruger hill who's been filling in admirably for Shaq Thompson after he's gone down, he has that pick after Kirk Cousins gets hit towards the end of the first half that sets up another field goal. So, I mean, the defense, in essence, put up 10 points in the first half and our offense really couldn't do anything uh, instead. Like, like if you look at it from like a Vikings offense scoring and the Panthers defense scoring, it's a 14-10 game. So, right. so what is Frank Reich doing against a porous Vikings defense that has stopped no one all year? Like, it's just, it's, and, and we could rant this entire time about stuff like this. Um, but overall, this defense reminds me of last year, a, a defense, like you said, three quarters, they're playing great. They're getting sacks they're for, forcing turnovers. And it's just the offense failing the sustained drives. And that's, that's what we're going to have to figure out in the next couple of weeks. And if we don't like, there's going to be more firings like there were last year. It reminds me of the 2021 defense more the Darnold year where the defense would just like suffocate the opposing team for three quarters until Darnold fell apart. Um, but like our player of the game is on that defense. Well, we have two players of the game. They're both on that defense because the offense is just, I, I don't even, I can't even talk about it anymore. Our first guy is Itor Grossmatos. This is a guy that I think the fan base has kind of been down on throughout his career. I mean, he's, he was picked, I believe 39th overall, early second rounder. hasn't really lived up to his pedigree, but I think this year is the year he's really, uh, really coming into his own. He has a Jiro Evero coordinating him, which obviously helps. But this game, he had two tackles for loss, two QB hits, one sack. I would say this was maybe his best game of his career. Just a really complete game in both the run and the pass game. And it's good to see him finally uh, being a good rotation contributor because that's what he was drafted to become. And he, he's finally hitting it. So last year, he finished top 10 among edge rushers and run-stop win rate. Great in the run game. Been been very reliable in that aspect. One thing that we mm -hmm. talked about this offseason a lot is exactly like you said, can he play complementary ball? Can he get after the quarterback on passing downs? And John Ellison, I believe, this offseason, uh, we thought YGM had the chance to be a really impactful player this year. And another guy that we wish we could have seen more of, especially in these early games, was Marcus Haynes, who John Ellis compared to Mario Addison back in that 2010s defense that Sean McDermott really led. And the guy that I think YGM is most comparable to some of those defenses is Wes Horton, a guy who's phenomenal in the run game. And now if he can develop as a pass rusher, you put him next to a guy like Burns. You have Derek Brown in the middle. Now we have three guys that can kind of get after and. That, that at least is encouraging on in some aspects. But again, with all the injuries in the secondary and the interior offensive line, the problems at wide receiver, this is, this is definitely a team that needs a lot of work, though, moving forward. If YGM can be what he's been like the past couple of games, a complimentary pass rusher, like you're saying, not the primary guy like Derek Brown or Brian Burns, but a complimentary guy, the defensive line is going to be all right. And I think the other player of the game is Deshaun Jameson. We mentioned him before. Now, he was covering Jefferson for the majority of the game, but this was his first, like, really big game action. Uh, Dante went down early, so he had to come in and spell him there. Did give up uh, those touchdowns, but held Jefferson to under 100 yards. And on that pick six where Sam Franklin's slowing down, he, he does not have the wheels, I'll tell you that. But Kirk Cousins, of all people, is about to come up there, and he's about to get him. And 
coming all the way from the back of the end zone, running all the way down is Deshaun Jameson. Just like an absolute hustle play. And he blasted Kirk Cousins on that pick six return. <laughs> like, it, it was one of the hardest blocks I've ever seen from a DB. And then he blasted KJ Osborne at the end of it, too. But that kind of hustle is what this team needs on defense as well. Like, aside from the Horn and Henderson and Dante Jackson injuries, this is a guy that I want us to keep around because he's doing the things that we need to we need to see from the from either side of the ball. Just hustle plays. And uh, it was good to see that good team play there on that pick six. Now we talked about it uh, by weeks coming up. Hopefully we have the lions coming up this week and then we're going to be at Miami. Uh, I don't think we're going to beat Miami and Miami like that. That would be a miracle in and of itself. A lot would have to change in the next two weeks, but if we can eke out a win in Detroit somehow, some way uh, you go into the buy one in five, at least you, you have a win to kind of build on. But going into that by 0-6, like that is, there's going to be a lot of questions. Tepper's not going to be thrilled. Like his whole thing since he's got here is he wants a winning product on the field. And that has been everything but what we've gotten on the field, whether it's been at home or on the road. So it's it's really intriguing. We'll talk more about it after we talk around the NFL about the matchups we're interested about with the Detroit Lions. But is there anything else about this Panthers team as we're heading into that? Like, is this something that we need to start considering a fire sale. Do we need to tra uh, trade Brian Burns? Do we need uh, to look to get a wide receiver? Because that was the rumors before this, this game this past Sunday against the Vikings is that we're in the market for a wide receiver, which shocking. We had one in DJ Moore before we traded him, but we're in the market now. Yeah. If they were never going to pay Brian Burns, excuse me. I think that uh, him going to the bears would have been, for the better because he's a better player than DJ. So it probably would have costed less in the trade, but at this, that's neither here nor there. That was in the past, but I think Owen six, I think it might become a fire cell because uh, for me, outside of Bryce young and Derek Brown, I think anyone is expendable. And obviously Brian Burns brings the most back. It would be extremely unfortunate and a bad look for a team to trade three consecutive first round picks being McCaffrey, uh, Brian Burns and DJ Moore, obviously the uh, McCaffrey and Moore have already been traded, but for this team to, to go fully into the rebuild, which I think they're finally realizing it is this whole offseason, uh, Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich, were talking about making a run for the NFC South. But uh, if they're going to fully lean into the rebuild, I think it might be a fire sale. Um, and which would obviously be disappointing. would be another lost season, but uh, it's, it's something they're going to have to consider because we can't keep trading current picks away for people and that not working out and then missing on picks in the draft. This past Sunday, we had three starters that were drafted by Scott Fitterer. Those are obviously Bryce, Ikea Kwanu, and Chandler Zavala. Now I know that like JC Horn was hurt. Um, Jonathan Mingo's hurt, stuff like that. But he's had three drafts here. And for only there to be three starters, like no depth, really. Zavala wouldn't have started if uh, Corbett were healthy. If There was no depth with his drafts. So if we keep trading away picks for veterans, we're going to have less and less picks for him to draft by. And he's already bad at drafts. So it's like, like what are we going to do there? Are we going to go for the proven veteran player because Fitterer can't draft? Or is Tepper going to say, quit trading away picks? We need picks. But then... Is he going to miss on those picks? It's a real conundrum. 
Well, that's one of the things in both of us. Uh, we've mentioned his name probably a million times. And we're going to do it another million before the end of this series. Jason Fitzgerald. You can't build a roster through free agency. That's just not how it happens. Some of the best teams that we see in the NFL year in and year out, it's homegrown talent. And it's not only homegrown talent on their rosters, it's that they're so good at, at like finding talent that other teams are pulling teams off of them. And you have teams like the Cowboys and the Ravens where they have players all across the league that they developed. And right. that's what you're supposed to do as a franchise is you're supposed to find those guys that not only work for your system, but are so good that they transcend that system and that other teams want them. And that's just something that we aren't able to do in the draft. Exactly like you said, the guys that we traded away were guys that Herney drafted. CMC, Derek Brown, DJ Moore, a guy that, oh, well, Derek Brown hasn't been traded, but Derek Brown and Brian Burns, like those guys weren't drafted by Fitterer. And like you're saying, Fitterer is not hitting on his drafts. And then we're trading away picks to get a guy like Bryce Young. And then we aren't even protecting him and putting guys around him. So it's, it's one of those things that a lot of this is falling on Fitterer's shoulders. We can't blame rule anymore that, oh, these are rule roster building decisions. Like, no, Scott Fitterer built this team. This is his team. Just like Joe Douglas gets a lot of, a lot of crap for the way he's built the New York Jets, it's the same thing here in North Carolina. And so it's one of those things, as much as we've had put a lot of heat on Frank Reich over the first portion of this uh, podcast, a lot of it needs to be on Fitterer. Like, if there's not talent in the building, it's hard to work with that as a coach and uh, in, in put a product out in the field that's actually going to work. I agree. Uh, his first draft here, that was the, I believe it was the JC Horn draft, his first draft. He did a lot of trading back. I believe we ended up with 11 picks in that draft. And that gave me a lot of confidence. You know, you always want more darts to throw at the board. And I was like, okay, he, he, he knows how to do this thing correctly. But then disappointing free agent signings. I know the whole Watson saga probably wasn't all his fault or anything. It's probably being driven by coaches, ownership, stuff like that. Or we missed out on key free agents that summer because of that. Uh, and then the next draft, we trade up for Matt Corral. So that's a pick. And then we trade for Baker. That's another pick. We had 11 picks in that first draft. I believe since then in two drafts, we've had 11. So it's it's not ideal to be trading all these picks away. It's just I don't think it's been a great job by him as a whole, especially now looking at this whole burn situation. So. You're right. Some a lot, not some. A lot of the heat does need to be on Fitterer, and hopefully, we'll be able to figure it out this year. But I don't know. It's looking bleak. Very bleak. Now, we will kind of pivot here from all this Panthers ranting and kind of get into stories around the NFL games that we like this past Sunday, and that'll obviously lead into the best performances. What were some of the games that kind of caught your attention and eye this past week, and just a couple notes on those uh, that you have. So we'll start with the one on Thursday, the Lions and Packers. Uh, that was actually one of my takes, I believe, in the last pod, that the Lions would go into Lambeau as favorites and get the job done. And that's exactly what they did. They absolutely dominated the Packers in the first half. And in the second half, there's some kind of questionable calls. The Packers kind of clawed their way back in. But it was, a, it was an all-around win, in my opinion, for the Lions. I mean, Montgomery came back, had a monster game. I believe Taylor Decker also came back that game. So they're really getting back into form. I know the talk was, oh, the Packers are getting all their guys back. But the Lions are getting their guys back. And just this week, they'll be getting uh, their first-round pick from a couple years ago back, Jameson Williams. Uh, so they're really uh, hitting hitting their stride, I think. I believe they're 3-1 and one now. One of the better teams in the NFC. And if they can if they can get a win this next week, I know it'll be a, a tough job for them. 
uh, against us. But if they can get a win against us, they'll be riding high, four and one. But I, that game as a whole, I thought was a good watch, fun to watch. What what I want to make sure moving forward with the Lions that wasn't like anomaly, I can't even pronounce words, um, with that Packers game is they dominated the trenches mm-hmm. so well. Like they sent four-man rushes and were able to just collapse the pocket around Jordan Love. And that falls a lot on the Packers offensive line. This is an offensive line that's usually graded out to be like a top 10 unit or at least above average unit. And they just could not keep the Lions pass rushers away from Love. And I think that changed the course of the game because what we've seen, Love has definitely been inaccurate. He has his faults. But within that Matt LaFleur system, especially over the first three weeks, when he's been given time, he's able to deliver the ball. So I think moving forward, that's the big thing for the Packers. And then if the Lions are able to start generating pressure like they were with Aiden Hutchinson, with uh, some of the other guys, I think they have like Isaiah Bugs on that interior offensive line or defensive line. And so if they're able to get kind of pass rush with those guys and they're able to drop seven, they're able to drop eight, that that changes what you're able to do on defense and would make them a true contender in the NFC. So that's that's something I want to kind of keep an eye on with the Lions moving forward. Was there any other notes you had, other games that kind of intrigued you over the course of the weekend? Well, for that game in particular, like you're saying, Hutchinson's looking like a monster. That Trayvon Walker pick is looking worse and worse as weeks go by uh, for the Jags. But the other game I wanted to highlight was the Sunday night football game between the Chiefs and the Jets. Yet another matchup where we don't get Mahomes versus Rodgers. But uh, we had a, a pretty terrible game, I would say. Well, not terrible, just a pretty bad game from one QB in this game. And an all-around good to great one from another and if I told you Mahomes and Zach Wilson were the QBs, you might mix it up. But I think Mahomes did not have a good game at all. And he was actually benefiting from some questionable calls, I think, in that game. And Zach Wilson did have a good game. He moved the ball. He That one drive he, where it was like 5 for 5 for 75 yards and a touchdown, incredibly uh, efficient. But it, it was a good game overall, a really scrappy game. But in the end, the Chiefs were able to get the victory there in front of Taylor Swift and uh, Travis Kelsey's mom up in the box. But I thought that was a good game. I thought the Chiefs were going to blow the rails off of them, but it was uh, it was competitive throughout. So so here's here's what I love is that Travis Kelsey, obviously he's he's trying to show off for Taylor Swift's up in the suites there in New York. That's Zach Wilson putting on a show mm-hmm. for Donna Kelsey. I mean, this man, <laughs> what a baller, what a baller. But no, that's... Uh, Zach Wilson, this is one of those things that I and I loved hearing so many commentators and I know a lot of people have their opinions about Dan Orlovsky and some of his takes. But part of what made Zach Wilson so special at BYU and made him such a high prospect when he was drafted was his ability to just sling it Mm. like he has the ability to just throw the ball. And the issue was and, and we've discussed this multiple times is his ability to play in structure. Well, if you're an offensive play caller and you guys, you, you have on the offense, a guy like Garrett Wilson, you have some of the wide receiver depth that they have. You have Brees Hall coming out of the backfield. Incorporate some more explosive opportunities. Let him uncork it. And so if you start doing more of that while Rodgers is recovering, you might have a chance to win some of these games and build confidence for this young quarterback because that's ultimately who you want to turn this franchise over to in a couple years. You don't necessarily want to restart at that position. If you're able to develop this guy into a competent starter, then all of a sudden the Jets look like a completely different team. So definitely a lot of promising uh, 
promise from the Jets overall. Um, definitely two games that I think you you clued in on very well. Yeah, if you uh, if you have Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson's ear kind of giving them tips and tricks, I think it's going to do nothing but help. I know a lot of the talk was that uh, oh Zach Wilson's going to be really disappointed, really down that Rodgers is there taking a spot, but I've already seen some flashes uh, in Wilson's play that remind me a little bit of Rodgers, like the uh, the little bootleg touchdown where he hid the ball really well and got mm-hmm. out and hit hit it on the right. That's a vintage Rodgers player right there. He, he did that to us in the preseason, except it was to the left. So if he's getting some like some really good coaching from Rodgers, I think it's going to help him in the long run. Because like you said, this is a guy that the franchise is probably going to turn the keys over to once Rodgers ends up retiring. Because we know Woody Johnson just loves Zach Wilson. And if he's able to improve into a competent, dare I say, above average QB, because he's having to sit back and watch Rodgers or right now learn from Rodgers, it's just going to be, it's going to do nothing but benefit him. And, and exactly like you said, learn from Rodgers, because I think some of the throws that Jordan Love likes making, like you'll, you'll see him almost like lean back off his back foot, like Rodgers would do all the time. And you'll see that it, like Jordan Love in his game this, this season, four games in. And so it's cool when you, you can sit a guy between behind a hall of fame quarterback and let him take some of those traits and, and have him in his ear and go, okay, this is how I need to make that play, or this is how I need to throw that ball. And exactly like you said, some of those play fakes of the goal line, like the more you can do some of that stuff, the better you're going to be as a player. So I think, I think it's overall great. A couple games that I want to cue in on weren't necessarily the most fun to watch, but I think could be a good indicator of a matchup we have this coming week. And that was the Cowboys against the Patriots and the 49ers versus the Cardinals. And what we know of the Patriots and Cardinals so far, they may not be the best teams in the NFL this year, but they're scrappy teams and they play hard. The Patriots took it down to the wire against the Eagles, against the Dolphins, beat the Jets, who we just talked about. And then they just got blown out by the Cowboys. And then same thing with the 49ers. They play a scrappy Cardinals team that took the Giants down to the wire beat the Cowboys in their own house. And then they go to San Francisco and Christian McCaffrey just has a game with a four touchdown kind of showing, which we haven't seen since like Jerry Rice. So when you see kind of these two powerhouses and you see the point differential they're putting up, they're two and three in point differential in the entire NFL, only behind the Buffalo Bills. Cowboys second with 83 point differential and the 49ers at third with a 67 point differential. So Seeing these two teams in Santa Clara, I think it's not only the game of the week, it could be the game of the year. Uh, there's there's a lot of great matchups. I think the issue is, is Micah Parsons is not great in kind of the run game. And so if they're able to kind of run at him and they're able to kind of scheme some blocks up, whether it's Trent Williams on him blocking or if they have Kittle kind of chip allowing Trent Williams to get to the second level and Parsons isn't able to kind of beat or beat some of these blocks or or make a play on the ball that this could be a very long game in favor of the 49ers yeah i didn't as far as these past two games go i didn't see much of the 49ers and cardinals i know mccaffrey went off i think he had what four touchdowns something insane it was like three rushing one receiving yeah it was insane yeah yeah they were feeding him we've known he's that kind of guy he just got bit by the injury bug too much here in carolina I mean, that one, I think it was the 2020 year where he had a thousand thousand and like 18 touchdowns or something was insane, but it's glad to see him fully healthy and dominating uh, behind a better offensive infrastructure. So really fun to see there, but the Cowboys Patriots game in particular, this was just a get right game for the Cowboys. In my opinion, like you said, they got trounced, not trounced, but 
they kind of lost embarrassingly to the Cardinals uh, last week or two weeks ago, rather. And so they come in to the Patriots house and they're like, all right, got to do everything right. Let's get it. Let's do the right thing. And that's exactly what they did. Just suffocated the Patriots offense. I believe Mac Jones got benched at the end of the game and the Cowboys offense as well was just moving the ball at will on a Patriots defense that I think we both agree is pretty stout or should be pretty stout. So just an all around great win for the Cowboys to prepare them for that matchup against the 49ers, which is in Santa Clara, right? Or yeah, yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which does make it kind of like a stark in contrast because a lot of the dominant performances we've seen from the Cowboys so far have been in their home stadium outside of the mm-hmm. Giants uh, beat down, which the Giants don't look like a competitive team this year. I mean, they've gotten the doors blown off them now like two or three times this year. They just don't look like a competent team. And this is taken away from the Cowboys, but it's it's one of those things that this is a team that they'll jump on that. They, they had two defensive touchdowns against the, the Patriots. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can force Brock Purdy into some of those mistakes. Uh, because if they Dan Quinn can kind of scheme some coverages up, take away looks that otherwise would be more favorable, um, then then you are really putting this into, can Kyle Shanahan whip up something, uh, it, whip up explosive plays against this defense? They're, they're missing uh, Trayvon Diggs. So does mm-hmm. Gilmore and some of these other backups who have been playing really well in his stead, did they get exposed now against this high-flying attack that features – Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. So it's just so many weapons. We'll see how Kyle Shanahan attacks this defense. I'm intrigued with how Mike McCarthy is going to move the ball. He he seems to move it very well, but when he gets the red zone, that's when he kind of gets stymied a little bit. And that's got to change. Like if if you're going to beat a team like the San Francisco 49ers, you're going to beat a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, you got to score in the red zone. And that's something that McCarthy is yet to show. Well, you talked about Micah Parsons as well being an X factor in this game. He was kind of hobbled during this Patriots game. I know he came off for a time, came back in, but he didn't look like himself. I think he got rolled up on uh, one of his ankles or something. So it will be interesting to see how he performs against what's surprisingly a good offensive line for San Francisco. I know both of us had our doubts about their O-line coming into the year. But if, like, say, he can't line him up on the left, right, because Trent Williams is just going to gash him. That's like a hundred pound difference there. Then on the right, like you said, they could bring use check. They could chip him with Kittle. It's going to be really interesting to see how he performs, uh, particularly in the run game, like you're saying. But yeah, I think this is an excellent matchup on both ends of the ball, like both matchups in particular. Cowboys defense, I thought was the deepest in the league coming into the season. And the 49ers offense is incredible with what Shanahan's able to do with their skill players. And then the Cowboys offense, like you said, moves the ball at will between the 20s. But then when they get into the red zone, they fall kind of short. And the Niners defense is pretty strong up front, especially, which is uh, important in the red zone because, you know, a shorter field. So it will be interesting. Like you said, this could end up being a game of the year candidate when it's all said and done. Absolutely. And speaking of game of the year, we're into our best performances of the week. The three that we have here, all offensive players. I'll let you kind of kick off the first one. Yeah, I get, we're talking about game of the year. Something that we thought could have been a game of the year candidate coming into the week, the Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins, didn't really end up that way. The Bills kind of owned both sides of the ball. And a big part of that was Stefan Diggs. Hat trick. He had three touchdowns, uh, six catches, 120 yards. Looked like the Diggs of three years ago, but he's still, he's still kicking up in his old age. And uh, he really dominated against that... Uh, I believe it was Cater Kohu who was covering him for the most part, really just dominated against him. And that, uh, that I, w- I don't want to say porous, but not as strong 
back end of the Miami defense, especially with Ramsey being out uh, up to this point. What I loved uh, on this week of the athletic, when they did their recap, Robert Mays and Nate Tice kind of got into Stefan Diggs and this Buffalo Bills offense is they knew that that was the matchup. Like you said, not necessarily the strongest point. And they said, Hey, if you're going to kind of go one-on-one against our best guy, we're just going to spam that. And that's exactly what they did. They found their opportunity. They were able to kind of hit those big play buttons and there was nothing the Dolphins could do to stop it. So it's one of those things that Ken Dorsey, he knows where the mismatches are. He's been able to take advantage of them so far. We'll see if that continues as the season progresses. We saw this kind of dominance from the Bills last year and they kind of faded down the stretch. So it's one of the things, can they still keep this kind of energy in December and January? And if so, this, this could be a team that wins the Super Bowl. They are really that good on both sides of the football. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think up to this point, they have been one of the more dominant teams. Like you said, they're first in point differential. But uh, beating the Dolphins in the way that they did is really convincing. And so I think that they're going to be the target uh, of the league moving forward. The next guy is a guy that we've been a fan of since he showed off in week one. Puka Nakua finally got his first touchdown in overtime against the Colts this week. He had nine catches for 163 yards and that lone touchdown. Just absolute monster game from him. McVay continues to use him in just bizarre ways, lining him up across the field. He's really stepped into that Cooper Cup role, except he's more multiple in the way he's deployed. And it's going to be interesting with Cup uh, coming off of the IR, I think this week. I don't know if he'll play this week, but it'll be interesting moving forward this year to see how Cup and Naku are deployed alongside guys like Higby and Atwell and Kyron Williams out of the backfield. If, if you have two guys on the field for the Rams that can kind of play that cup role and Nakua and Cooper Cup, and they're able to kind of be effective the way they are in slice and dice kind of slot corners and linebackers that may be on the in, uh, covering them on kind of the inside and how they line up more slot and in line. Like this could really be a nuclear offense moving forward because Kyron Williams has looked good out of the backfield. Their offensive line has definitely looked competent now that they're healthy this year. And it's one of those things that the Rams could be one of those wild card teams down the stretch. And this was the team that we thought would be a team with a top five, top 10 pick kind of reshuffling and rebuilding towards the future. And they're still competitive as all get out. So that's really cool to see our last one. We talked about him not too long ago, a guy that Carolina Panthers fans are very familiar with. And that's Christian McCaffrey. This is, this is a guy who racked up four touchdowns in a single game. Like I said, I don't think has been done since Jerry Rice in the 49ers franchise. And the dude just, like, it doesn't matter if he was in Carolina or in San Francisco. This guy constantly touches the ball. He had 27 touches, uh, both uh, rushing carries and receptions, uh, for 177 yards and four TDs. Like, it's just, it's wild. Like, this guy, if he's healthy, deserves to be, and this is coming up, but he deserves to be in the MVP conversation. This is one of two undefeated teams left in the league, and he is the center and focal point of that Kyle Shanahan offense. You mentioned Jerry Rice uh, in terms of breaking records. CMC actually broke one of Rice's records this week in scoring touchdowns in consecutive games. He's up to 13 now, and Rice had a 12-game stretch there. So like you said, completely dominant. And when he's healthy, I know we like to talk about uh, Derrick Henry a couple years ago in his prime and Nick Chubb uh, just previous years. But when healthy, I think CMC is the best running back in the league 
by a pretty good margin. Just the way he's able to affect the game in both the run and pass game, especially running the ball. He's gotten so much better over the years at adding strength, uh, not just cutting and getting away from people, but going through people. He's not the, the tiny guy that we drafted anymore. He he takes guys and runs with them and pushes them down the field. I'm thinking about the Rams game a couple weeks ago where he did mm-hmm. that to Akello Witherspoon. He's such a complete player. He's the true, like, uh, I don't know the correct amphibious weapon, I guess. Like Swiss Army knife. Yeah, Swiss Army is. knife. Yeah, he's the true Swiss Army knife. I maybe the best since Ladanian Tomlinson. I, I know that's high praise, but there's nobody that's as a running back effective as he as effective as he is in the passing game because we talk about all the time where oh this running back can line up in the slot or he can run out of the backfield. McCaffrey can run wide receiver routes better than a lot of wide receivers. He's the true weapon. And it's great to see him uh, flourishing in a system that knows how to utilize him. Absolutely. When you're able to line up Debo or use check in the backfield and then have Christian McCaffrey out wide, you don't know what's going to happen on that play. Debo could be getting a handoff. Christian McCaffrey could be running a route that he ends up wide open on a linebacker. Like it's different things like that, that Kyle Shanahan is able to whip up some pretty creative stuff because exactly like you said, Christian McCaffrey is that good. And it just, it, it creates mismatches all along the defensive side been very fun to watch and like i said should be a great matchup versus the dallas cowboys now absolutely oh go ahead oh now something we need to get into coach talk we we already alluded to somebody that kind of needs to step up because like we said kyle shanahan can whip up some phenomenal things on the offensive side somebody that really hasn't been able to do it we've already talked about him a lot is frank reich and i think it's fair to say he's on the hot seat right now he can whip up some phenomenal things just just not in a good way but uh, I think I don't know about hot seat, but I do think he should be on the hot seat in terms of losing the play caller title as well. Like, I think that, uh, like you're saying, we have a bye week coming up after the next two weeks. If we're 0 and 6 with an anemic offense, I do think the switch to Thomas Brown should be made. There, there's like we're 0 and 6. There's no way to save the season at that point. There's no need to be like, oh, well, we need to let Frank finish out the season because he's the play caller and there needs to be continuity and stuff. We need juice. Like we can't be wasting a year of our the number one uh, pick in the draft QB. We can't be wasting a year of his rookie contract simply because we need to let a guy keep calling plays because that's how it should be done. We need the juice. And I think that coming out of the bye week, if we're 0-6, which we probably will be, it should be Thomas Brown calling the plays because we have the defense for it. So if we if we can get the juice on offense, we can we can win some games. Yeah, this isn't this isn't a Sean Payton issue. Like with Denver, mm-hmm. Denver has no issue on the offensive side this year. They are they're very efficient. They they have a high success rate. They've been putting points on the board. It goes to the defensive side for Denver, but that's not the case here in Carolina. So at this point, it's like okay, play callers got to do something to to make this easier on Bryce on the offense, open up some running lanes, and Thomas Brown being the running game coordinator. Maybe we'll see some more explosion with Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard, more outside design runs that don't put a lot of emphasis on what kind of the interior offensive line woes that we've had so far. So that would be nice to see. Now, a guy that I think is one foot out the door, one foot in right now with based on how things are going is Matt Eberflus. Like if you look at, I I forget how many games he's called. Uh, but he was compared to Matt Nagy, John Fox, some of the other Bears coaches prior. He's got like the worst record 
at this point in his career as a Bears coach. And so it's one of those things that it's it's time to start asking, is he the guy for the job? And when you're going to have potentially two top five picks, they have one and two right now uh, with between us and the Bears picks. At this point, do you start rebuilding towards the future. Now, if you fire him midseason, does Luke Getze get the job? Do you have like a uh, veteran presence in the coaching staff that can kind of take over as that position? I don't know, but I don't think he's a guy moving forward. You got to think about this too. Since week two, he's been calling the defenses as well due to the dismissal of Allen Williams. Yep. And their defense has not improved. We, we just saw this last week. Tremendous game from Justin Fields. I know he has he's had a rough start to the year, but this past week, absolutely great game from him. And they were up, what, 28? I don't think they were ever up 28. It was they were up 28-7 in the third. And they choked that away and end up losing. And I, I know Fields did have the turnover there at the end, but a lot of it's on the defense too. Now, Sean Payton and, like you said, the Broncos are an efficient offense, but you can't let them just crawl back like that when you have that kind of a lead at wasting one of, if not the best game of your young QB's career. Now, what I will say is that Broncos defender Jonathan Cooper, ex-teammate, I think, of Justin Fields back at Ohio State, had the game of his career, I think, up to this point. He had, I think, a sack or two. He had the uh, scoop and score on the Justin Fields uh, fumble that ended up tying the game. So there were elements that, yes, like you said, this was more on the Bears' defense not being able to hold, but the Bears' offense kind of choked the game away towards the end as well. I think their last three drives were that fumble six. Um, then they had the fourth and one where they got stuffed inside the red zone or close to the red zone. And then on the last drive, Fields throws the uh, pretty much uh, game losing interception. So that point, I, I disagree there. They scored 28 points early in, or they were, they had 28 points early in the third. That should be enough in today's NFL. I think the defense just fell flat. And, and Eberflus is calling that defense. Yeah, no, and like I said, he's on the hot seat. He should be the first guy fired. I'm just saying that there were elements to that game that, yes, you can kind of put on fields. But at the same time, like you said, it's kind of inexcusable to kind of let an offense put that many points on you, especially when you're up that big. Now, another guy that we need to talk about from a defensive standpoint is Brandon Staley. His defenses have entirely, like, stunk, sucked. I, I don't know the adjective or verb you want to use to describe what Staley's defenses have been, but it hasn't been good. And I, I mean, I would say this Raiders game, they were okay. They did get a boost from a tremendous game from Khalil Mack. Uh, he has, I think, six sacks total now. I don't think he had any coming into this game. He's going to finish the year with, like, seven sacks, and six of them will come against uh, Aiden O'Connell. No, like no, no. He'll, he'll, he'll have rookie. 10 sacks. He's going to get yeah. four more sacks against Jimmy G the next time they play the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. yeah, but, yeah, the defenses just have not been good. So in the only thing I'll say, and Brandon Staley isn't wrong for going on these fourth and ones. What I will say is that they have seemed to think that they can just go up the gut against defenses and either they think defenses aren't going to expect it or they feel like they have um, better guys up front in the interior offensive line, but it hasn't worked. They got stuffed with, I think, the fullback dive against the Vikings last week. And then Justin Herbert was literally, I think, a broken finger on his left hand. They're yeah, asking he was wearing a splint. A, yeah. They're asking him to do a quarterback sneak. 
Like, <laughs> at least draw something up that protects your quarterback. Like, I'm, I love the aggressiveness. It's just sometimes the play calling, I think, is is a little mind-numbing in those situations. And that's that's all, all I'd ask is an improvement in that front. They have pulled off the games in back-to-back weeks. They are at 500 now. But if some of those things don't get cleaned up against better teams, like, you go for it in that situation and you're playing the Chiefs or you're playing the Buffalo Bills or maybe even the Jacksonville Jaguars because they had the epic meltdown in the wild card game against them. Like you mm-hmm. face some of these powerhouses in the AFC, that doesn't fly there. You have to convert those to end the game. And that's, that's what I have failed to see from this Chargers organization underneath Staley is their ability to just hit them with a kill shot. And that hasn't been there. And until that changes, like this is a guy that I think needs to be canned by the end of the year. This point I'm about to make has nothing to do with Staley, but like you're talking about with Justin Fields with the broken finger, that uh, right before they had the fourth and one, or not right before, but it was that series of plays, those first and ten, they had him do a handoff, but with his left hand, instead like, like the hand that's injured, and uh, I believe it was Josh Kelly that took the ball, and you, you can see Herbert like kind of shaking his hand right after he handed it off, like, you got to protect it. I mean, this was last year. This does have to do with Staley. Last year where Herbert had the ribs against, uh, I believe it was Jacksonville in the regular season. And they, uh, Jacksonville was winning like 41, 42 to like 10. And they kept yeah. Herbert in the whole game instead of taking him out. And Staley was like, well, if, if you know Herbert, you knew he'd want to stay in that game. He probably would, but you need to protect him from himself. That's part of what being a head coach is. That's what That was one of the bad things about Rivera. He couldn't protect Cam from himself. And so I, I get the point there that uh, while the defense have been bad, Staley also has a job as a head coach to protect all his players. And I'm not quite sure that the – the fourth, uh, the fourth down QB dive and stuff like that is the is the best example of that. Absolutely, and that was it was an interview with Mike Tomlin, and I think it was like a Ryan Clark situation. Ryan Clark got cleared by the medical staff, but it was like one of the times previously before playing the game, he had a bad experience playing the mile high, the the higher elevation. It didn't uh, affect like his heart or something specific with his health. Doctors cleared him. He, he did everything he could to play the game. And Tomlin said, no, you aren't playing. Because exactly like that, the head coach was able to step in and say, hey, this is more than the game that gets played for 60 minutes. You, right. you have a life. You have family. You have other things that are more important at the end of the day than this game. And that's what I think a lot of these modern coaches sometimes fail to realize is that this is bigger than just the game. Absolutely. Now, a guy that I think is phenomenal, both from a head coaching standpoint, a play calling standpoint, and a guy that should honestly garnish some attention now for head coach of the year or coach of the year is Sean McDermott. Like he he has put the bills back on the map in terms of a team to be reckoned with, because a lot of people wrote him off after the finish they had last year. And, and they fell apart at the end of last year. There's no escaping that, but they have done everything to show that, no, we are back we have every intention to win games and and play uh, ourselves into that Super Bowl game. So I'm I'm excited to see that. Um, any thoughts on him as a uh, former Panthers defensive play caller? Yeah, I think he's done a tremendous job calling the defenses this year. Now that uh, Leslie Frazier took us, I think he took a year off or a year hiatus from coaching. Uh, that defense is on fire, and it's shown every week. I'd say with the exception of week one, even though the Jets didn't score a ton, that was just a weird game in general, but that defense has been locked down the uh, past three weeks. And 
I would say that McDermott's doing a great job as a head coach and as a defensive play caller. I also think Ken Dorsey's doing a great job. Yeah, I think he's evolved his game from last year. I know we've talked about this every week where we talk about Dorsey, where he's the ire of Bills fans, but he's really been mixing it up. And I think both McDermott and Dorsey have just done a great job in elevating their players and helping that team be one of the best in the league. You're the best in the league by point differential if you are a big point differential uh, truther. I mean, they tend to be, during the McDermott era, one of the higher teams in the Pythagorean wins, which is pretty much like the point differential, like you're saying. They tend to be up there top five in the league over the past like three or four years, which says a lot about just how complete this team is, how well coached they are. And another team that's really as complete and have dealt with a ton of injuries over the past couple of years, including the first four weeks of this year, are the Baltimore Ravens. And John Harbaugh amidst, um, admit, uh, I can't talk, amidst, all that injury is still three and one and they lead the AFC North. This is a team I projected to win the division. And that's exactly what they are underneath Lamar. And as long as they keep Lamar Jackson healthy, they're going to figure out this offensive scheme. They're going to figure out how to get the ball to Zay Flowers, to Mark Andrews, to some of these playmakers they've added on the offensive side and the defense, even with some of the injuries they've had on the secondary and the defensive line. I think David Ajabo was dealing with a knee injury. Uh, I think Marlon Humphrey has been out for different things. Even with all those guys out, they have been playing lights out. And so between Mike McDonald and John Harbaugh and Todd Monken, this is a group that I think will pick up steam as the season goes on. Not only are they three and one, but two of those ones are division wins as well. And they're also going into Pittsburgh this week who may not have Kenny Pickett, may not have Pat Fryermuth, doesn't have Deontay Johnson. So they could end up winning that one too. Like you said, this is... Amidst all of the injury, I know Odell's been out for a couple weeks now, uh, he, but he's been injured uh, a lot towards the end of his career. They're still performing. They're still winning. And their lone loss was in the fifth possession of an overtime game. So they've been competitive or just dominant in all of the games that they've played. And they've been looking really good. I think if they can continue to strive and if maybe they can get some of the weapons back on offense, Lamar might have a good MVP case, kind of like I predicted in our predictions episode. Now, I know we have a couple other people that we'll talk about in a second that are the top of the running, but I think this team's looking pretty good so far, and they're on track to win the division like I believe both of us uh, projected. Now, I'm not going to harp on, because we've done enough of the harping on guys that are on the hot seat, haven't done their job as play callers. Somebody that we were a little bit skeptical of, but had high hopes for was Bobby Sloak in Houston. He came over from San Francisco with D'Amico Ryans. He was supposed to install kind of that Kyle Shanahan offense, which we've seen can kind of be quarterback proof. And that's exactly what he's done. He's given CJ Stroud so many options offensively. He's given him those six, seven, eight man protections. He's allowed him to kind of hit the throws that he can. And that's when you have a guy like Stroud, who isn't necessarily the best processor, but a guy who can make all the throws, you can scheme those throws to where they can be tight throws. Maybe they'll be open, but you know your quarterback's going to be able to make them and you're keeping a clean pocket for him. And that's exactly what Slowick's done. I'm excited for this Houston Texans offense. You look at the slate they have of games ahead of them. This is a team that could kind of find themselves winning eight, nine, dare I say, 10 games this year. And I know 10's a lot, but this is, a, I think, a dark horse to win the AFC South with kind of how they built this team and how they're growing. I mean, it was a shellacking that they had of the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. And I think it's only going to improve from here. Yeah, I mean... The 
talking about winning the division, they dominated the Jags a couple of weeks ago in Jacksonville. They won by, it was 37 to 17. I'm looking at it right now. And Stroud's looked phenomenal. Like you said, he's hitting the open throws. He's even hitting the tight window throws. And a lot of it has to do with how granted Stroud has in his own right. He's played very well, but a lot of it does have to do with the structure that Bobby Sloak is putting around him. They've had a ton of O-line injuries, but they're still bringing six, seven man protections to allow him time to throw and hit those windows. I think Slowick's doing an excellent job, and it could be another Shanahan disciple that goes on to have a promising career. Absolutely. This is a guy that I think if he keeps doing this with Stroud, could definitely put his name on the table as a head coaching candidate moving forward. Um, I think what I love the most is a guy that you've been high on the past year or two, Nico Collins. He's finally blossoming into a wide receiver one. Like This guy is a stud. Yeah, he's uh, he's been on off and on my fantasy team weekly for the past, uh, not this year, but the, like the last two years. Finally glad he's blossoming and uh, all's looking good in Houston. Now, like you alluded to, we have the MVP watch now. This was kind of like a best performances slash like guys we could see kind of taking home that title. Guy that I think needs to be at the top of this list. And rightfully so, he leads one of the more dominant units in the NFL is Josh Allen. He's the third most efficient quarterback. If you look at EPA through four weeks, he's been dotting teams up outside of that porous Jets game to start the year, which, I mean, the New York Jets, their defense is built to stop the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, they designed that defense to stop some of these high-powered offenses. So outside of that, he's he's looked every bit of the star that he is. Yeah, I, I like what Allen's done to start the year. He's kind of shaken off the uh, the bad plays, like just weird, I have to go make the super good play that he had last year and to, at the start of this year. But yeah, like you said, he's been dotting up a lot of teams. Granted, the teams that they've beaten aren't exactly great defenses, but he still performed super well, hasn't made a ton of mistakes down the line. Our number two guy, I, me personally, I would have him number one just because I think what he's done is a bit more impressive. That's Tua Tagovailoa. He's running that uh, Mike McDaniel system that we love so well, just to perfection. Their only loss was that lone loss this past week to Josh Allen and the Bills. But other than that, he's been lighting up teams, just or even destroying one team. I know we don't want to talk about uh, the 70-point thing anymore. But I think what he's been done is just incredibly efficient. He's uh, second in EPA. Allen is third. I believe uh, Brock Purdy's first. But uh, I, I just enjoy – or not enjoy, but I just like what he's done so far. Just played within structure and even out of structure, he's maximized what he's been able to do. He's looking like – and I know we talk about all the concussion stuff with Tua. But if you go back to Alabama – I believe what hampered him the most in his development was that initial hip injury. And right mm -hmm. now he's looking like to a pre hip injury, just the way he's able to move process and hit like the perfect throw instantly. I think that's what we're seeing right now. And that's like, I know I might have a little bit of Alabama bias, but I think what he's been doing is a, just a tad bit more impressive than what Josh Allen's doing, because I think one, he's just been more efficient and two, he's played a, just a bit better defenses, but I could see the argument either way. Now, something that's impacted these rankings, and I, I kind of want to elicit this before we talk about number three, but the reason why we picked these two guys is they lead two of the more dominant units in the NFL. And that, that typically is where the MVP vote goes to. It's, it's best player on the best team. And I, I know that kind of sucks because sometimes you have a better player on a worse team that doesn't get as much recognition, but 
for the sake of discourse, these are the guys that we think are kind of the front runners right now. And the third guy who we talked about earlier, I think is Christian McCaffrey. This is a guy who's on one of the last two undefeated teams. It's the 49ers and the Eagles right now. He has over 600 total yards and like seven touchdowns. I think he's on pace to have over like 1,900 rush yards, a, a bunch of receiving yards. This is a guy that's going to break probably that 2K mark as long as he stays healthy. And it's it's one of those things that if he is the cog on the one of the best offenses in the league, why shouldn't he be considered? I agree. You said best player on best team. Unfortunately, I think it's been QB on best team as of late. I think the last one was Adrian Peterson, the last non-QB. But uh, I think you're right. If McCaffrey is doing what he's doing and keeps his pace the whole year, he absolutely should be in that conversation. He is the engine that's driving this high-powered San Francisco offense. I know Purdy is he's being really efficient right now. He's number one in EPA and everything. But he's not hitting deep throws. He's missing some easy stuff. McCaffrey's the one that's driving the team. And I think that, it, like you said, if he can hit over 2K total yards, if he can get, say, I don't know. Around 30 eight, touchdowns. Eight, eight, he's got to get around 30, 30. touchdowns. Yeah, I, I mean, mean LaDainian Tomlinson, you think back to that MVP year, he's going to have uh, to put up gaudy numbers to get recognized. I was thinking uh, Peterson. I think he had like 21, 22 total that year. But yeah, if he, if, if he, gets, uh, if he gets close to 30 touchdowns, I don't care what QB is doing well. He should he deserves the award, but he he absolutely deserves to be in contention here. I know there is going to be discourse. I know Ben Baldwin for one kind of laughed at the idea that McCaffrey should be in the discussion a couple of days ago on Twitter, but he absolutely deserves it. It's not just a like it is a QB award recently, but it shouldn't just be a QB award. It should be most valuable player. I think back to the uh, the 2014 year with JJ Watt. I know uh, you're a big J.J. Watt fan. Mm -hmm. He was one of, if not the most valuable players in the league at that point. So I, I think we, as a, a football scape as a whole, we give it to QBs, but it should be geared more towards the league as a whole there. But uh, that's just my rant on McCaffrey being a, an MVP candidate. We do have a couple honorable mentions as well. We talked about uh, Matthew Stafford before. I think he's playing some of his best ball in his career. The stats may not reflect it, but he also doesn't have a triple crown winner in Cooper Cup. He doesn't have Megatron. He doesn't have all the people he had in Detroit. He's doing it with a rookie and Puka Nakua. He's a fourth or fifth rounder. He's doing it with Tutu Atwell, who's just not had a good NFL career so far. Doing it with Van Jefferson, kind of. He hasn't really done a ton this year. Doing it with Kyron Williams, a backup running back, because they traded Cam Akers a couple weeks ago. And he's doing it with an O-line that's been kind of scrapped together this offseason. But he's playing phenomenally. I like, Like I said, I think he's doing some of the most impressive stuff he's done in his career. And if he, if he keeps it up, he might end up in that top three, top four at the end of the year if the Rams are competitive. If, if this team can pull off 10 wins with how this roster looks, I absolutely think he deserves to be in this conversation. Like if you, you look at a lot of film breakdown, I understand like a lot of it's like one or two plays you'll see on Twitter, but he does make some spectacular throws, has done it his entire career but he's doing it in structure and him and McVay are on the same page. And when you have that kind of play calling coach duo, a lot of times that's all you need. That's what we're seeing in Miami between McDaniel and Tua. It's when those guys are on the same page and they're able to kind of make plays, 
sky's the limit. Now, another guy that we have on here, a guy that's kind of hampered by supporting cast and is going to have to play tremendous hero ball to continue to be in this conversation, is Justin Herbert. A guy that balls out, broke his finger, still played phenomenally, dropped that beautiful pass to pretty much ice the game against the Raiders down the sideline to, I think, Josh Palmer. And it's just, it's when you when you look at that style of play and if they can actually put things together and roll into kind of like postseason play with 10-11 wins and Herbert looks like the best quarterback in the NFL, there's no reason he shouldn't be top three by the end of the year. I agree. We've been spoiled with some good QB play to start the year. One game that's not going to have uh, like tremendous QB play, I don't think. Hopefully it does from one end is the upcoming Panthers game this week. Uh, we're going to Detroit to uh, to face the Lions, and it's going to be some interesting matchups. I'll let you take away the first one. The, the most interesting matchup that we have kind of going into this kind of Panthers-Lions game is going to be our O-line versus their D-line. Like I said, is last week what we saw in Green Bay, is that here to stay? Like, Aiden Hutchinson's looked great the past uh, what what is it now? Um, eight, 17 games plus four, 21. 21 games that we've seen of his career. He looks every bit of the, the number two overall guy that was taken. And so with that in mind, if he's able to dominate uh, our offensive line, they're able to get pressure on Bryce, it's going to be a long day for our offense, like we've talked about. And that is going to kind of hamper what we want to do offensively. Now, if our offensive line can kind of bully and and set the tone and and we lean more on the run game like we did against them last year maybe we have a shot but that mashup i think is the most critical going into sunday yeah the run game last year where it was the uh the arctic tundra in bank of america stadium uh yeah hopefully we were talking about how the turf felt like concrete yeah yeah the coldest game in franchise history funny enough uh this past preseason they were also at the hottest game in franchise history so uh, the the Lions do they they know how to like mess with the temperature when they play us. I want to see what Ben Johnson is able to do against Dejiro Evero, and hopefully if Evero is able to stop what he's scheming up, like like we did last week with uh, Kirk Cousin and the Vikings, we we held him for most of the game. Now they did have a good running effort. I think Alexander Madison had just under a hundred yards, but if they were able to hamper the passing game like we did against the Vikings. The Lions aren't a great running team down the field, per se. They don't use Jameer Gibbs at all. (laughs) Monty. Well, no, Monty's not a great, just like down the field runner. He's a good goal linebacker, short yardage runner, but he's not getting you consistent yards. So like if we can stop the run game, like between the 20s, like not to the goal line, and we can play the pass game like we did last week, we have a chance to have our defense hold up again. But like you said, it's going to come down to if our offense can do anything. And that just all goes back to Frank Reich. Is he going to is he going to do the right thing? Is he going to make adjustments? Is he going to call runs that aren't halfback dive on first and 10? Is he going to uncork and let Bryce do what Bryce does? Or is he going to call 29 screens again? We, these are the questions we need answered. Yeah, no, they definitely need some answering I think my concern with Ben Johnson, I feel like if he leans more on the run game early between David Montgomery and Jamar Gibbs, I think what we saw towards the like the end of the Packers game is that they started handing it off to Montgomery and he was ripping off some of these 8, 10, 12-yard gains that were just kind of like defensive just like killers. Like those, those things sustain drives and just wear on a defense. And if they're able to do that to our defense, that'll probably be out on the field for most of the day. 
come that third, fourth quarter, we could just see all hell break loose. And that's one of those things that exactly like you said, Reich's got to pull it together. We got to make adjustments in game. We got to sustain drives. We got to move the ball and we can't settle for field goals. When we get in the red zone, we need to put the ball in the end zone. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you want to win games, you got to score points. I agree that that's what I mean. Like uh, at the end of the game, you're right. Montgomery did start ripping off runs, but the Packers defense was gassed that we need our defense to not be gassed. And if we can move the ball on offense, I think we'll accomplish that. Uh, moving to the, towards the future, because uh, it's not looking good for Panthers fans this year. We like to do the college standout section from the past week. I don't think anybody stood out more than Brock Bowers that in the Georgia Auburn game. Auburn had him on the ropes for a while, and I don't like either of these two teams, but towards the end of the game, Brock Bowers came through. He's a yards after the catch monster, just excellent tight end. He's what he's the best parts of Kelsey and Gronk, some people say on Twitter. I don't know about all that, but uh, he, he's really good. He's up there for best prospect in this class, other than Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, he won the game for Georgia after they after they were sputtering the whole game. I think he had he had the game winning catch for sure, but I think on that drive he had three separate catches where he just got 10, 15 yards of yak, and he was the real difference maker there. J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback for Michigan, absolutely destroyed Matt Rule's Nebraska Cornhuskers in Harbaugh's first game back this season. I believe it was a 48-7 to game, I think was the final score. And McCarthy, I think, had four passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Just really torched him there. But uh, I don't think Panthers fans need to worry about QBs for a while. And then the last guy I want to talk about is the Notre Dame running back. Audric Estime, I think is how you pronounce it. He had a really good game. Uh, I think it was over 100 yards. And he had the game-winning run. It was on 4th and 16. And they called uh, Notre Dame called a run play. And he got the first down, not only the first down, but ran it in for a touchdown to win it at the end versus Duke. And I'm pretty high on Duke this year in their QB. So that was a really good game from uh, the Notre Dame running back, Estime there. Maybe a guy that the Panthers can look at as a downhill guy because we don't really have that guy right now. No, we don't. Now, to your point, and I, I just want to preface this from an analytics standpoint, you brought up Brock Powers, and I think that was a, a Bowers, not Powers. Um, he's a great prospect. I think he sh deserves to be one of the best prospects coming out of this class. But what we've seen with the, the tight end curve, especially when we've seen guys like Kyle Pitts and Eric Ebron, and I understand they aren't necessarily the, the receiver and blocker that Brock Bowers is. But when you see how long it takes for some of those guys to develop at that tight end position, that sometimes it takes three, four years. I don't know if that's a guy that teams should really take a gamble on unless you're prepared to develop that guy. Like Dalton Kincaid, for example, uh, hasn't had immediate impact. He's had a lot of targets. He's definitely impacted schematically what the bills have done, but from a production standpoint, he's not hitting the ground running. Like, uh, like we've seen some of these wide receivers do in the draft. So that's that's one thing I would say. I, I enjoyed the fact that Nebraska is now two and three under Matt Rule. Um, that that is enjoyable. So I think that was fun to see. And exactly like you said, that one thing that we're missing, and I wish that we hadn't let Deontay Foreman leave in free agency, is that downhill running. We we cannot have physical runs up the middle because we don't have the running back the the kind of take those hands off or the handoffs for those. And that's why I said, oh, do we look at a Lagarra Blunt? Do we look at an Ezekiel Elliott? We never grabbed a guy like that to kind of bolster our roster. And we have these kind of like, I wouldn't say scat backs, but they're they're slimmer. They're finesse, Miles, finesse running backs. Yeah. Miles Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, and, and, and Blackshear even. Like these guys aren't meant to be downhill runners that'll get you 
three, four yards if you need three, four yards. Absolutely. That, that's a guy that the Panthers should be looking at in the draft next year. Now we're on to our perfect take section. And as we're winding down this podcast, I think the take that I have, and it's, I don't know how much of a take it is because this team's played so scrappy all year. They're playing at home against a, a team that is spiraling and that's the Cardinals. And I think they're going to upset the Bengals at home. I think it's a plus three line at the moment uh, via fan duel. I'm actually pulling it up right now. Yep. It is still a plus three line there. I think it's an upset. I think the Cardinals win that game. I think they'll go to like two and three. And, and again, they, they don't look like that bottom dweller in the NFC. They look like a team that'll kind of scrap its way to close to 500 on the year. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. I actually also have the Cardinals winning currently on our pickums chart right here. But uh, like you said, uh, the just the Bengals don't look right on offense. Burrows, we've said it the past couple of weeks, he's still pretty clearly hurt. Uh, Jamar Chase isn't getting the touches that he's uh, accustomed to. T. Higgins isn't uh, following up on the pretty good year he had last year. So just, the Bengals are all in just disarray on offense. And on defense, they're competitive, but not good enough to win them games as a whole. And like you said, the Cardinals are scrappy. I think they can, the Cardinals now, and from a talent perspective, I don't think the Cardinals are better than a lot of the teams they go against. But any given, any given Sunday, when the Cardinals show up, I think the way that uh, Jonathan Gannon has the defense playing, how Nick, it's Nick Rollis on offense, yep. I believe. I uh, know yeah, defense. He's uh, the defense it's, uh, coordinator. It's Petsing. Petsing yep. on Drew offense, Petsing. right? Drew Petsing, how he has them playing on offense. How Joshua Dobbs is operating on offense. A guy that uh, he's been a kind of a career backup journeyman, but he's he's playing pretty well right now for what he's being asked to do. How they're playing right now, they could beat uh, any number of teams in the league. I mean, hey, they beat the Cowboys, who are – one of the most talented teams in the league. Well, so I can absolutely see that. Versus the Cowboys, it was like a play, like they were trying to get lined up. They were motioning a guy across and they had the linebackers looking like they were coming in and then moving out. It was like motion on the back end of the defense, which is completely legal. They can move around however they want before the snap. And you could just see the confusion that was being caused. I think the Cowboys had to like take a timeout. And it's like one of those things, if you're able to throw that kind of confusion against the Bengals, you're probably going to force Joe Burrow and that offense into mistakes. And that'll be interesting to see on Sunday. Yeah. A trend I've been seeing to that effect is that they tend to crowd the line uh, to try to throw off offenses like that. And it's been pretty effective so far. And if they can continue to get away with that with just one deep safety before they shift to their coverage, once the ball snapped, it's going to be dangerous. Like they have play. They have people playing within their roles good enough to be playmakers on that defense. And I think that's what's uh, what's pretty strong for them right now. My perfect take this week is that looking back to this past week, I think what Zach Wilson did was good enough for him moving forward to not be the worst QB in the league. I think he is a if he can, can build off that and continue to do what he did in the Chiefs game, he will be serviceable enough throughout the year and in particular serviceable enough to let the Jets go into Denver and get a win over the hapless Broncos. I know the Broncos won this past week, but they barely won against probably the worst team in the league in the Bears, if not the second worst team in the league. And I think if the defense continues to hunker down and Wilson can play not even mistake-free football, if he can just play good complementary football as the quarterback, hit their uh, good skill position players for deep shots like you were talking about earlier, I think the Jets can pull off the win in Denver. I think that's a good pick. 
And leading into our picks, I actually had the Broncos selected for that game. Last week, I went 12 and four. You went 13 and three. So you got a game ahead of me. Uh, both of us, I believe, are over 500, even 600 on the season. Uh, we've done well against, uh, the, against the spread picks that we've had. Uh, we'll post our picks probably. Um, I know Thursday we'll post the Thursday night game. Friday or Saturday we'll either post the uh, picks for the week and then those spread picks. Uh, keep an eye out for those. If you guys have any questions as listeners, shoot them to us at Perfect Takes on Twitter or at Patent Analytics or uh, at Jacob LaCroix. Um, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say next week. We are going to have a very, very special guest. Uh, he has been a part of the restore the roar movement. Uh, he is probably uh, one of the analytics darlings in terms of the, the Twitter gurus that you want to look up to. Uh, he's made a name for himself for the past couple of years. I won't, I won't spoil the name. Most people already with that introduction probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, but I'm really excited that we have him on the podcast next week. It'll be really exciting to get his input on kind of the outcome of the Lions-Panthers games um, and, and some of the other games of the week. So that'll be exciting to look forward to. Jacob, before we close, do you have anything else to add? Uh, go Panthers against the Lions. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to have to keep pounding on that one. Uh, it might be a couple more weeks before we see anything good. Uh, but here's the hoping, and uh, that, that's it for us. That'll wrap it up.